what we make of it. Shotgun wedding. Sometimes a first date requires paperwork. A Good Omens fic, written by Charlotte Madison and read by Literarian. Chapter 38 Boo! Gotcha! Lunchbox Bandit strikes again. Delivery Bandit, rather. It's a thing, I swear. Shut up. Quit leaving it at home, by the way. Do you know how undignified I look carrying your lunch to the office? Adam remembers his. WTF Angel. Anyway... Have a nice fucking day and all that. The kids all want to spend an extra few nights over during spring break. That okay with you? It's tradition. Also, we sort of owe Bo and Arwen. Sat to choose and maybe following Sat. You wouldn't have to, like, babysit them. They mind themselves just fine during the day. You can send them to the park if they get too obnoxious. Are you into Ethiopian? Forgot there's a great spot not far off. We should maybe go Friday. Had another thing, but I forgot and I already drew the bullet point, so... See you at home. Not bringing you lunch again. This is the last time. See. P.S. That was a lie. I'll probably bring it again tomorrow. But seriously, quit it. Front desk staff are losing all respect for me as I stand here scribbling on a growing number of attendance slips. I hope they page you so all your students know you're a lunch forgetter. P.P.S. Tell Anathema yes I will take a look at her bike. P.P.P.S. And no, she cannot have the cookie recipe. P.P.P.P.S. Also, kick her impudent ass at cribbage. She's the worst. Roads dry. The front door slammed shut and shoes thumped off in the entryway. Aziraphale glanced up from the new N.K. Jemison short story collection to catch Crowley storming down the hallway, shedding layers as he went. Adam hopped up from the island where he'd been putting off his homework. Are you going now? Can I come? Me now, you later, came the shout from the hall closet. Got to give her a spin first. Been a long winter. Which one? Which do you want to take out first? The bedroom door closed and the two of them carried on in muffled voices. Aziraphale set the book aside for a moment and shifted to the edge of the couch to stretch. He'd known this day would come, but it had come rather too quickly for his taste. The first warm days of spring seemed to arrive earlier every year. When Crowley returned to the kitchen, he was in tight black jeans and a thick leather jacket with an alarming array of silver snaps and zippers. He dropped his helmet on the counter and pulled a shot of espresso while Adam circled, bouncing like a puppy. Aziraphale didn't miss that particular curve to Crowley's barely restrained smile. 
He was soaking up Adam's approval, relishing the moments when he still seemed cool. What's on tonight, Angel? Crowley asked, leaning against the fridge. I was hoping to go for a walk, actually, said Aziraphale. With or without me? I... I was thinking with, Aziraphale said, hoping he didn't sound passive-aggressive. He hoped he didn't feel it. He wasn't sure. This was the first time he'd experienced real competition for his husband's affections, and it was confusing. It felt like a test. Good, yeah, we can do that, said Crowley. And then he knocked back the espresso all at once. I just have a thing first. Date, you know, with the girls. Happens every spring. You'll get used to it. Aziraphale opened his book again. Yes, I'm aware this is a shared custody situation. Right, safe. Yeah, be back in an hour, tops. Back in ten minutes for you, Hallian. Get your gear together if you want to wait downstairs. Adam whooped and went spelunking in his bedroom with gusto. Meanwhile, Crowley rounded the island and buckled on his leather chaps, which, once they were zipped up, slowly and deliberately in Aziraphale's eyeline, were ludicrously tight. It was unfair of him to dress that way, really. Motorcycle safety aside. If you're angling for my attention, you've got it, Aziraphale said crisply. But I certainly won't reward your antics by gawking. He turned a page, even though he hadn't read a word. Crowley sashayed over to the sofa, hips rocking, and bent over to deliver a proper goodbye kiss. You could come down and bless the fleet if you like. At last, Aziraphale caught his eye to convey some sincerity. Not just now, I think. This seems special for the two of you. Well, the seven of you. You're gonna have to go out at least once, Adam shouted from his room. Twice. Aziraphale thought. At least twice, in case the first time was terrifying. He'd promised. My dearest C. You seem to be confused about the front desk stuff. They have only the utmost respect for you, and by extension, for me. They informed me yesterday that I have excellent taste in men. I told them that you do as well, and then described the contents of the lunch itself, which cemented their admiration for you. I expect you found this in the fridge while checking to see if I remembered my lunch today, I did, in part because your white bean and kale soup proved unforgettable last night. I look forward to the reprise. Although it occurs to me that perhaps an over-hasty milk replacement has displaced this note to the hinterlands, where it may be found months after the fact. 
in which case it will not interest you to know that my day was very nice, thanks to you. If the them wish to take a long weekend at ours, I see no reason why not. They ought to go to the park regardless, rain or shine, because time outdoors is crucial to healthy development and because I deserve a little peace and quiet on my state-mandated vacation. I adore Ethiopian. Let's make ourselves ill on Injera this Friday and... Unlike some people, I make sure I have something to say before starting a new point in a list with ballpoint pen. The purpose of this chilled missive is mainly to wish you safety on the road, now that you're out on two wheels, and to fortify your spirits at work. Give the bastards hell! I'll see you in a few hours, and the sight of you will focus my every thought on overwhelming gratitude for my very well-spent days with you. A-Z P.S. You're making that face I adore just now, I'm sure of it, and though I know you're already furious at me for calling you out over it, I regret nothing. Cheerio, darling. They settled the date for Aziraphale's first real ride for a little over a week later, on a Friday afternoon with a whole week of vacation ahead. It was a perfect mid-April day. Crowley had barely slept for three nights, bristling with the anticipation. As a result, he was also bristling with caffeine when he roared up to the Eastgate parking lot as school let out. Today, 1524. Your chariot awaits. Don't you have work? Surprise, playing hooky again. Goes with the aesthetic. Only I don't have my gear with me. I do. Come on out. And you don't need quotes around gear. WTF is that. Pardon me if I'm still new to the terminology. Gear in quotes sounds like something rather R for fuck's sake. Wait, is it meant to? Question mark. I'll be out in five minutes, and I'll thank you to keep your messages discreet while I'm at work. There had been preparations. A lot of them, really, from talking through the various dangers to watching videos to parking lot practice. Buying the outerwear had been a laugh. The entire floor staff of Ride Hard Outfitters had got involved, offering advice and encouragement and jokes. They knew Crowley, but they loved Aziraphale and they'd made him promise to come back for the more expensive white leather jacket he'd decided was a bit much. For his part, Crowley had spent the whole undertaking endlessly amused by the ways Aziraphale could weaponize his own Englishness to charm a room full of Americans into doing whatever he wanted. That wasn't at all what I expected. Aziraphale had mused as they made their way home in a zip car. What did you expect? Confederate flags? Hell's angels? 
I really don't know. I don't suppose I put any thought into it at all. Perhaps I did assume that they'd be more... intolerant? Well, that's the thing. Bikers are mostly rebels, and there's a thousand different ways to rebel. You work in a shop like that, you have to make nice with all of them. So, yeah, some of their customers are probably assholes, but that's true everywhere. Well, obviously, they let you in. Don't you start. And now the day had arrived. And Crowley's knee wouldn't stop bouncing as he straddled the parked Moto Guzzi and played with his phone. His heel bobbed up and down despite all the horsepower between his legs, despite the armor. He'd never been self-conscious about this part of his life before. Then again, normally the bike, the leathers, the clean-cut, tattooed bad boy look had been the reason other men approached Crowley in the first place. With Aziraphale, with a connection forged over homework schedules and Shakespeare, it was hard to imagine how the bikes fit into the picture. Maybe they didn't. Which would be fine. They didn't have to do everything together. It was fine. It should have been fine anyway. But for some reason it wasn't. Today, 1527. What if he hates it? Or gets hurt and it's my fault. Or I get hurt and he makes me get rid of him. Or he just doesn't care and says, that's nice, dear, or exclamation mark. Don't let me fuck this up, Lil. P.S. Your BMW, Mrs. Hugh, took Adam on a spin last week. His choice for the first ride out. Dinner tomorrow. Broccoli mac and cheese night. Aziraphale arrived at last, looking quite a bit more flustered than usual. Crowley grinned despite his nerves. Flustering the husband was a victory any day. Ready to have some fun? Aziraphale looked the whole situation up and down and took a deep breath. He finally nodded once, showing a spark of determination which was immediately subsumed by what Crowley thought of as fretful face. He popped the panniers open. You've got this, Angel. You'll do fine. You've got this, you ridiculous smackhead, he told himself as his angel suited up. Their helmets had linked Bluetooth intercoms and Crowley queued up a playlist of the kind of classic rock that he hoped would be more nostalgic than overwhelming. He might have taken a long lunch compiling it, but then Levy didn't need to know that. He was off early anyway. Once Aziraphale had donned his helmet, tested the intercom and given the thumbs up, Crowley hit play on Queen's Don't Stop Me Now for a nice mellow opening. If he could time their departure just right... All set back there. Feet up. He interrupted the music to ask. Aziraphale eschewed the intercom and gave another brave thumbs up. 
He was stiff as anything, but he was seated correctly and looked prepared. Right, well, okay. Crowley sat down and gunned the engine, enjoying the surprised stares of strangers as he always did. Aziraphale reached for his waist. Don't stop me now, sang Freddy. Remember, lean with me. Crowley lifted his feet from the pavement and off they flew together. The Linfelds Parkway was dappled with slate shadows and golden sunlight. The leaves overhead were still chartreuse with fresh exuberance. Crowley took the curves easy, painting the road in long, smooth lines, visualizing ice skating and sumi brush strokes. Riding north always felt like freedom, like getting away with something. The highway south led to New York, D.C., Florida, all that civilization bullshit. North was better. A town or two in Vermont, a few exits in Canada, and then the wilds. Fucking heaven, but being on the road felt so good. He couldn't really lose himself in it, though, because he had no idea how Aziraphale was faring. It was maddening not to be able to see him. Every thirty seconds, Crowley had to smother the impulse to check on him. Ten minutes in, after not hearing a word from his passenger, he succumbed. Third of the way there already. All good? His voice sounded filtered and thin through the microphone, not half so reassuring as he'd hoped. Aziraphale gave him a thumbs-up in the side mirror, conspicuously, carefully. Crowley suddenly realized that he hadn't said a single word yet that afternoon. You're right back there. You can press the button to talk, remember? Aziraphale answered with the intercom this time, his voice buzzing right in Crowley's ear. Yes, just taking it all in. Fuck, 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 something's wrong, he hates it, he's dying to stop. Lovely day for it, really, Aziraphale added mildly. Crowley swallowed hard and focused on the road. He was not reassured. Don't fuck it up, don't fuck it up, don't fuck it up, fuck, 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 fuck. He lost track of time after that, switching highways on autopilot, itching to arrive in Salem and find out for himself what was actually going on in Aziraphale's head. Or at least on his expressive face. One last turn to the coast, nearly there, Crowley reported as they approached the turn-off. Actually... Deep beneath several layers of armor, Crowley's heart skipped a few beats. Could we just keep going? Uh, uh, where to? I don't care. Anywhere. That was a shocker. Something felt very 
off, but Aziraphale had that determined tone, like he was certain about something, and if it was this, well, hopefully it was this. Right, how do you feel about Maine, Angel? A shoulder squeeze. Let's go. Crowley sped up to something more like his usual pace, and a spark of familiar exultation lit in his chest. There was something liberating about crossing a state line. If you could cross a border, you could go anywhere. The whole continent was out there, the whole world, and it was just a matter of time to reach it. Not that a state line was any great distance in New England. They rode in silence for the duration, leaning together, hugging the curves. You're gonna carry that weight, the Beatles reminded them. Kittery was only a half hour beyond their original destination. Crowley knew it would be an Aziraphel spot, even if it had a touristy undertone. It was popular for a reason, after all. The gorgeous old houses on stilts, the Victorian turrets and widow's walks, the boats of working fishermen putting down Spruce Creek. They slowed to twenty-five and traced the meandering edges of the waterfront. Well, maybe it was closer to thirty-five, but it felt leisurely. There was a place he had in mind, a legendary little walk-up, boat-up seafood shack on its own pier, with picnic benches and paper service. Perfect for an afternoon like this. What was that rule about oyster season? Months with an A in them? Or an E? Something like that. The locals would know whether they were safe. And lobster was always on, in any case. He swung into the parking lot, pleased to see they largely had the place to themselves at this hour. Yahtzee! Hoping he'd nailed it, Crowley steadied the bike to let his passenger disembark and cut off the engine. He traded the helmet for his shades and finger-combed his hair and thereafter put all his energy into looking unworried as Aziraphale emerged blinking into the sunlight, blonde hair adorably tufted every which way. Well? Well, said Aziraphale, looking distantly up at the sky. Crowley had assumed he'd be exhilarated or terrified or discombobulated or or something intense. He hadn't expected this look of meditative melancholy. Aziraphale looked around at the water and the sunlight and the trees with some deep, contemplative sadness, as if savouring them for the last time. Um, fuck, 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 what is even fucking... Are you... A house, I mean... To stop his own stammering, Crowley turned away to lock up the helmets. Oh, oh, I'm quite all right, honestly, 
Aziraphale said, shaking himself back into the present, seeming to realize Crowley was there for the first time. He started taking off his gloves and jacket. It was a very scenic drive, much better than the Mars Pike. Do you know, I was so distracted I nearly forgot to be afraid. Distracted? Crowley gaped. Distracted from that? What's happened? What's going on? I just mean, you know, by the scenery and the air and, and spring break. A whole week without classes. Aziraphale nodded his head briskly, trying to brighten up. But his trying was transparent, and Crowley was far too keyed up to handle this whole whatever it was with any composure. There is definitely something on your mind right now, and I really need to... Let's go and sit down. This place looks charming. Angel... Aziraphale held up an open hand. Stop. And when he spoke again, the weight of honesty had returned to his voice. I'll explain in a minute. It's nothing you should worry about, but I'd rather not talk about it just yet. Crowley blinked. Well, there's a surefire way to terrify me. I promise I won't keep you in suspense long. Aziraphale turned his heel and started down the ramp to the pier, head high. All of Crowley's anxiety about the motorcycle thing burned away and his overactive imagination got to work ruffling through the Rolodex to place bets on who had cancer. Shit. This was bad. Something was bad. Something was very bad. Nobody has cancer, Aziraphale called over his shoulder without stopping. Never said they did, Crowley yelled after him, scrunching his nose in exasperation. Did extremely hardcore leather armor do nothing against spousal x-ray vision? They chose a table and sat in silence for a spell, side by side, both staring across the green-grey salt water. Crowley watched a jellyfish swimming against the tide. Aziraphale, lost in thought, followed the seagulls wheeling overhead with unfocused eyes. Um, food? Crowley finally asked. In a moment. Only four or five tables were occupied. Crowley looked around at the other diners, the phone-absorbed teens, the beer-slugging good old boys, the six bouncing little kids with two adults who didn't necessarily seem to be related. The set of twins kept running over to the lobster tank, screaming in horror and delight, and hurrying back to their flock. Okay with you if I get a bit closer? Crowley asked quietly. I know we're not in the city anymore. Aziraphale looked around the dining deck, eyes coming to rest on the children. Yes, of course it's all right, darling. 
so Crowley threw an arm around his husband's shoulder and inched nearer. He thought of a thousand things to say, but none of them added up to anything helpful, so he settled on a hesitant, I'm... I'm here. You are, said Aziraphale, and he sighed so sadly, Crowley felt it like a stab to the chest. <sighs> and I don't know what I'd do without you. Already it... this is... we're so new, and yet if you weren't here right now, I can't imagine... He reached for Crowley's other hand and squeezed it hard, biting his lip to catch the words tripping out. Yeah, yeah, but I am here. Crowley's leather-clad leg was bouncing on the foot he couldn't bring himself to set down flat on the ground. He glared at his knee, but it wouldn't keep still. Aziraphale suddenly chuckled. <laughs> I see you trying not to ask, and I appreciate that. I don't mean for you to combust. I'm just trying to find the words. You know me, I combust fairly regularly. I'll be fine. It's never permanent. His leg jiggled even harder. Have you ever read the story A Wrinkle in Time? Huh. That took Crowley by surprise. His heel paused, arched in mid-air while he thought. Yeah, Adam liked it a lot. I'm fuzzy on the details, but I think we read it aloud when he was in... third grade? Fourth? Hmm? What did he think of it, if you recall? The girl, the main character, reminded him of Pepper, and I think he said he was a lot like the younger brother. Charles Wallace. Yes, that certainly resonates. I forget most of it, honestly, except for that creepy planet where all the kids had to bounce their balls exactly the same way. Gave Adam recurring nightmares. Practically gave me nightmares. Aziraphale nodded, eyes fixed on the opposite shore. You've happened on the very passage that I have in mind today. Oh. Crowley's foot fell. His knee began oscillating again. With a shift and a shiver, Aziraphale shut his eyes and inhaled slowly in order to say the hard thing. Gabriel spoke to me this morning. He has explained that my curriculum will be replaced by LLS for all the freshmen, effective the day we return from spring break. We'll use it for the rest of the year, and it will be required district-wide starting the following year. The students are expected to complete the remaining lessons on their laptops, and I have been specifically ordered to incorporate their work with the software into the final grades. Crowley stopped moving. Stopped breathing. Stopped thinking. A tendon in his neck twitched with the tension. 
and having received that news, I suppose I'm spending some time reflecting on, well, everything. I'm not sure what my function is in this scenario, what I mean, what teaching means. The tests were bad enough, taking up so many class days, but those were just a yardstick. This is... this is different. This is meant to replace the teacher altogether. It's one thing to measure results. This is an attempt to make all the results exactly the same. Efficiency. They're looking for efficiency, I suppose. Fucking heaven, Crowley whispered. So many of my colleagues have left over the last decade. The creative ones, the visionary ones. They used to head our departments. They mentored me. Now they've all gone on to private schools or universities or other jobs. Aziraphale swallowed hard. And I can't help but think that this is why. Our young teachers burn out nowadays, too, after just a few years. Between the student loans, the cost of housing in the city, and the job having... Well, having changed so much from what they remember when they were in school, they just... they can't. That's... that's not to say we don't have brilliant staff members now. We do, and they're fighting so hard because they do anything for the students, but it's... Aziraphale paused for a long time to look out across the water. His eyes were troubled, full, brimming, but when he spoke again, his words were clear and precise. How does one teach material designed to make teaching itself redundant? There's the rub. It's meant to erase the differences between individual teachers and students and learning experiences, as if that were possible. To make us all the same. It's a pathetic stand-in for the hard work of actually reaching every student where they are and unlocking their unique potential and enthusiasm. I'll have no time to focus on that now, none at all. Some processes will always resist an assembly line. And yet here I am, more and more a factory floor supervisor. He shut his eyes and drew the sort of breath one draws when one is carefully not crying. So what, then? What am I for, exactly? What's the point of me? And what use am I to anyone else with all these... all these stories and exercises and passion and fluff rattling around in my head? If they don't want me anymore, if they prefer that every child have a monotonous, joyless, standardized, quantifiable... With a violent kick of his legs, Crowley jumped up from his seat. Crowley? Aziraphale twisted in place to look. He paced madly. He was furious, buzzing, vibrating out of his skin with the wrong of it all, but he couldn't outstrut the fact that he was complicit. 
He was part of this. He was right at the blasted heart of everything fucking up the world. Ruining education, ruining a generation, reinforcing inequality, destroying democracy, melting the actual fucking planet. This was a pinhole of a problem, but through it Crowley could see the big bad things he worried about every damned day, all marching toward them, undeterred by little distractions like marriage licenses and moving in together, and here he stood squarely on the wrong side of history for a fucking job he couldn't fucking ditch and... Crowley, said Aziraphale sharply. He caught Crowley's elbow. Let's walk. Looking around at the brightly painted tables, Crowley realized his stomping and his scowl were not exactly in keeping with the seaside picnic vibe. The twins by the lobster tank were staring at him with round eyes. The teens were giving him surreptitious glances as they texted. Crowley couldn't think of a way to recover his cool, so he snorted with outrage and grabbed Aziraphale's hand leading the way back up the ramp to the parking lot. Aziraphale leaned against the whitewashed railing while Crowley walked the length of the asphalt three times, kicking every piece of gravel he could find. His frame couldn't contain all this frustration. He wanted to erupt, wanted to scream, not with anger, just with the fucking bleakness of it all. And he'd had such high hopes for the afternoon. Finally, the thought that Aziraphale needed a partner with his shit together right the fuck now penetrated his self-immolating fury. He had to get his body back in line. So Crowley went down on one knee in the far corner of the lot, crossed his arms in front of his face, bit hard into black leather, and roared with all his might into the muffled safety of his elbow. After a few deep breaths, he stood up, shaking with the effort. He couldn't look Aziraphale in the eye. But he still went to him, and he went apologizing, wondering if there was a magic number of apologies that could somehow stop this happening. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. Fuck fucking shit, this is so fucked. I can't believe it. Adam's gonna fucking kill me. All those kids, it's fucking... He buried his hands in his hair and tugged. And here I am, embarrassing you on top of it all and not even letting you... Fucking... Anthony. All the fight slipped out of him when he felt Aziraphale's knuckles brush his cheek. Which made room for the sadness to bloom, and that was almost worse. Crowley winced and choked, squeezed his eyes shut tight. Sorry. I'm sorry, I know this is your thing, I should should be being here for you, and instead I'm all fucking 
I'm so sorry. I just can't believe. It's not the end of the world, Crowley. It is. Well, maybe not, but it's connected to the end of the world. You know it is. All these fucking dominoes set to topple, and this is just one of them. And I'm fucking useless even now to look at me. The command was firm, and Crowley obeyed for as long as he could. On the contrary, I appreciate a little vicarious outrage, said Aziraphale, chin up, eyes dark and serious. You're quite right. There are greater injustices, but this same principle drives many of them. I'm at a loss myself. I am angry, and I am confused, and I don't know that I have the emotional capacity to express any of it. Angel. Really, it's quite beyond my ken, so have a scream or two on me. Please. I wouldn't know how to begin being angry enough about this. I could spend the rest of my life angry, and it wouldn't be enough. It certainly wouldn't change anything. But I do wish... No, darling, look at me. Crowley tried. Really, he did. It was all he could do to blink his burning eyes open. He couldn't lift his gaze. Aziraphale stroked his cheek, and it was too gentle, too soft. Tell me what you're thinking said Aziraphale. Wanna fix it, Crowley muttered. And how would you do that? He shrugged wretchedly. No a building we could burn down, though I don't expect that'd help. All right, so barring ineffectual arson, what do you want to do? Crowley spun in a little circle, sputtering and gesticulating. I want to... want to take you far off into the desert or something. Just go, go somewhere, where we have the space to... I don't fucking know, to feel it, to yell, where you could just... uh, Where there's room, where there's fucking room for humans to be human. Joshua Tree, Teos, Flagstaff, I don't know. Some place high up with no air and no people and all the stars and fuck. Everything is so fucked and I'm a part of it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You cannot hold yourself responsible for all of this. Stop it. Don't console me. It's my job to fucking console you. Crowley started pacing again. Just, just give me one more minute and I'll be all over it. I don't want this to ruin our afternoon. The ride, I know you've been looking forward to this. The ride, I know. He threw his arms in the air helplessly. And you've been sitting with this, knowing this for hours. Fuck. You can't ruin the afternoon. They did. Gabe did. I did. 
My team fucking sold that tribe to your district. I did the fucking fieldwork on that system. Crowley. No, no. No, you don't even... Crowley choked as he remembered. Day I met you, I was there telling Gabe the bullshit company line about what a value it was, how great it was the district bought it, how it means... Fuck, means it doesn't matter who's teaching, you get standardized results. Results that keep your school from losing federal funding. They need to look like they're doing something about inequality, prove that they're boosting outcomes just so the district doesn't go broke. But it's... it's all... I don't know how you can even look at me. It's... it's... it's all... It's all down to higher powers than you and me, love, is what it is. And that software can't fucking measure learning. It mostly measures income and parenting and gentrification. It doesn't do what it says, it doesn't prepare them for the workforce, and all you get are automated algorithms fucking bored of their mind little kids who've learned how to say what the machine wants them to say. You take a, you take a child and you sand off all their weird edges till nothing unique sticks out, so they answer all the questions the way an authority tells them to, and the tests only measure how well you did at that. Which, who the fuck knows, maybe that is enough to prepare them for a future of dystopian, fucking burning, god-awful... I know, I know said Aziraphale, reaching out with both arms. I know, I know, I know. Come back to me. Crowley sniffled miserably as he grew dimly aware that he'd been yelling from ten paces away. Come back here, darling. He returned with long strides, sobering as he did. I'm so sorry, Angel. I'm here. I am here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm done. Really done. Sorry. Let's focus on you now. Crowley still couldn't quite look at him, but he could hold him. The stiff leather was too constricting, so he zipped off his jacket and shrugged it onto the pavement. They embraced, tight, tighter than they'd ever held each other in public, squeezing just a few tears out, hugging till they were breathless. I wish I could fight this, Aziraphale murmured. But all I know how to do is keep on, I don't know, being there. Being there? Hmm, that's the plan. What else can I do? There's always the desert. I hear running away fixes all sorts of problems. Especially systemic dysfunction and injustice corrupting all levels of government. They still need me, Crowley. And they'll need me next year and the year after that. Even with your head full of story, Fluff? Yeah, yeah, they do. Do they? Look, they'll face this fake English class bullshit with you in the room or without, 
and I know which of those is better for Adam. Adam? Yes, Adam. How can I possibly explain this to Adam? Crowley's mouth went dry. Well, I've explained worse things. I can do it. He'll survive. He'll hate it. Twenty years of learning what it takes to reach a student like him, and now this. Aziraphale hugged him harder, if that were possible, while a fresh round of silent tears shook him. Crowley ran fingers through his hair and breathed in the crisp salty breeze until it passed. I'm sorry about your shirt, Aziraphale sniffed noisily. Nah, go ahead. I've parented. I'm immune. <laughs> Still, it's a shame. It'll be hidden under my extremely cool jacket soon as you let me go. You want to head back home? I'd... I'd actually quite like to eat here. It's beautiful. You just smell lobster rolls and corn on the cob. It's a persuasive combination. Want to borrow some sunglasses? Please. I don't know how the fuck I'll set foot in that place on Monday. I'm sure you'll carry with you all the rage in your dark little heart. I have faith in you. We could still burn the building down. Wouldn't solve our problem, though, would it? Nah, might be fun, though. Pepper would help. Let's not and say we did. As an alternative, consider microwaving leftover fish in the break room, while Hester's eating. Speaking of fish... You ready, Angel? As I can be. Let's reclaim our afternoon. They sat in the sun together until it ducked behind the trees. They ate lobster and oysters and grilled mussels and soft white rolls and hot buttered corn while the tide shifted. Sometimes they talked about little things, trivial things. Sometimes they stared into space. And in stages, in waves, they talked about the hard thing. And all the bigger, badder hard things it was connected to. The conversation ranged far and wide, touching on the ways everything felt built wrong or broken. They had been talking politics and pedagogy together, on and off, since their card nights began in October. But this time they dug far deeper into the state of the planet and their place in it. Because the hour seemed to demand it. Because they both needed to think about who and how to be. As usual, Aziraphale kept trying to focus on the problem at hand, while Crowley would zoom out as far as he could, too far perhaps, to see the big picture which had always seemed bleak to him. But whenever Crowley spiralled into referring to the impending apocalypse, the end of the world, as a certainty, which he did several times, Aziraphale would rein him in with the reminder that, 
barring a meteor strike or a supervolcano eruption, the world was unlikely to end all at once for everyone. Rather, he reminded Crowley, the world ends every day for certain people. The question is only for whom and where and whether that end was unavoidable or man-made and what could be done to prevent the world ending unjustly for someone else tomorrow. And Crowley, as he had before, pointed out that that was a much more painful, personal way to look at things. Aziraphale countered, like he always did, that it was cause for hope, because protecting specific people from the end of their specific world was concrete work that could be done here, now, today. And that work was always before them and always worth doing. So that's a no to the high desert apocalypse bunker plan? Crowley asked. We can take a break in the bunker when we need it, perhaps, said Aziraphale. But our work is here, isn't it? It's laid out for us. Perhaps we need to talk about making it a more central part of our lives. Crowley looked down and growled at his corn cobs. It was annoying when the angel was right. Such as... What do we have to offer? We have relative wealth, so we give more of it away. We have privilege, so we intervene more directly for those without. We have children in our care, so we teach them about love and justice. And how do you plan to do that with LLS clogging up your class time? I don't know yet. But I'll think of something. What would you do? You're wily. Probably get myself fired for clocking Gabriel. He is highly clockable. But losing my job would in no way benefit my students. Crowley made a face and cracked a lobster claw, which appealed to his moderately pro-arson mood, but he did not argue. After a lengthy silence settled over their kittery excursion, they geared up and motored south under a pale cerulean sky that gradually greyed over with dusk. It hadn't been anything like the romantic picnic Crowley had planned. Few laughs, little teasing, heavy hearts. Nonetheless, he had a funny feeling that they'd ridden out as two but rode home as one. It really is freeing, Aziraphale would say suddenly, hours later, while they relaxed on the sofa. They had traded places by unspoken agreement. It was his turn to lie down with his head in Crowley's lap, being stroked into peaceful serenity. W sorry, what's freeing? The motorcycle. It's meditative. It really does put one inside one's body, doesn't it? Uh, f well, yeah. Although part of that feeling is undoubtedly the mortal terror. 
Oh, I haven't shown you mortal terror yet, Angel. That was half speed. Was it really? Because whether I go with you again will depend on your commitment to keeping my mortal terror around the level I experienced today. We'll see about that. Crowley traced the walls of his ear with a fingertip. Thanks for trying it. I'll try it again one day. Two trips, as requested, in case I was scared the first time. Were you? Scared? Not by you. So I get at least one more chance. To terrify me? Yes, and I'm sure you'll manage. Mm, you love it. And you're the expert on what I love, are you? Crowley's eyebrows contracted. I hope so. I'm trying. Aziraphale caught his hand and squeezed it reassuringly. You're doing just fine, love. They'd retire early, and they'd talk late into the night about what could be done. And about what could not. And most of all, what they could do to save Adam in a world that always felt ready to go to pieces. The plants would listen indifferently. Or at least Crowley could imagine that they did. He liked being surrounded by things that witnessed their troubles, but bore none of the burdens of sentience. Like the stars. They didn't give a shit. The stars would just keep doing their own thing, no matter how badly the humans ruined things. Good for them.